Welcome to the Lost and Founder, the go-to podcast for entrepreneurs to become the best versions of themselves. I'm your host, Savage Brody. Today we have Amanda Pierce, a friend of mine. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> How are you feeling today? Good. I feel good. Cold, yeah. but I'm good. <laughs> Where are you right now? I'm in Kansas City. It is oh. like 20 degrees and snowing. Tell us about who is Amanda Pierce and give us, give us a little brief history on you. Amanda Pierce is a student. I'm about to graduate. So that is a very big part of me choosing to study environmental science. It took a long time to get there. I was, I'm a non-traditional student, so I'm 29 and it's all, the earth has always been my passion. It's what has led me in all of my travels of going to like natural places and camping and trying to like volunteer and underdeveloped countries. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much my sole purpose. I feel like on the earth <laughs> to protect the earth and fight climate change and everything. But besides that, I'm a sister. I have a younger sister. I have two parents. They live here in town. I'm a single mom to two amazing dogs. And yeah, I'm just like really getting my life together finally. So I will have a better answer to that question in five years. I'm 40 years old and uh, I still haven't got my life together. So you have plenty of time. <laughs> Thank you. We actually met through a mutual friend, Devin Mercier is a previous guest on the show. And you have a very unique story, not just about you, but about your relationship with him, which we can get into later in the show. But yeah, tell us, tell us about your history with depression and mental health. My history has been a very long one. I unfortunately lost my innocence to depression and anxiety at a very young age. I lost my virginity at 14 and I was raped. And then I kept that in for two years. And then I finally told my a couple of friends at school and my family and then less than a year later, it was being published in the underground school newspaper, along with a whole bunch of other secrets from other girls and high school sucked. And then, and I, I was a gymnast, a varsity gymnast. So I was like very straight edge, really all straight A's and didn't drink or smoke or do anything. And then I went to college and had some fun and made some mistakes and failed out, had to have those conversations with my family. Being the older of two kids, two daughters, I was like supposed to be the role model. <laughs> and I, I have been sexually assaulted four times in my life over the course of since 14 until I was 24. And I didn't talk to people about it and I didn't go to therapy and I didn't use the resources that were provided. And so I turned to alcohol and cocaine and partying and definitely struggled with that. I had a 30 day stint in rehab in LA. I've had, I spent the 30 day stint in rehab in LA after I ran away with the love of my life. And then he committed suicide in our bathroom in the hotel in Mexico. That was a pretty traumatic event. And then I, like two years later, I was beaten within an inch of my life by an ex-boyfriend. And then he committed suicide the next day. And like his wow. suicide note was basically like, and I'm sorry, and I love you letter. And losing, almost losing my life 
really just snapped me out of this like victim mode I had been in for so long of just, I can't do anything for myself. If I try to do something like somebody's just going to knock me down and take it away. And I just, it was just so close to death. It was a wake up call and I, but I still drank and I still smoked and I still tried to tell myself that I like am okay or I'm not an alcoholic anymore because like I've got a full-time job and I'm making money and I'm doing the steps in life that you're supposed to be doing. And I got a boyfriend, I got engaged, I got married, married Devin. And then, but still it was just like the underlying unhappiness of not just being mad and like dealing with it. And I'm just now almost 30 days sober again. And now almost 30 days sober, I'm just feeling a lot of things that I haven't felt before and realizing that, and this podcast has just come at such a crazy, perfect time of realizing how long I've been depressed since I was 14. That's heartbreaking to say the least. And there is so much to unpack there. That's the summarized version. Yeah. Wow. Let's go back to when you were 14. Prior to what happened to you, were you happy-go-lucky kid? Were you depressed? I was shy and very like energetic and full of life and just like wanting to... I was just like... It was like a kid who drank coffee all the time, but I never drank coffee. I was just like ready to go and like excited about doing things and really just like innocent and playful and just thinking back of just like some of the stupid things my girlfriends and I would do and like the music I would listen to. And it was just so childlike and playful and then and like even in my teens like i'd been a teenager for two years and i felt like i got along with my parents pretty well my dad and i we've had a pretty rough relationship but still i was happy and like i would go on family vacations and as my mom called me rock sticks and dirt girl because she'd wash my clothes and there'd just be stuff coming out of my pockets and and then i had i met a guy who was three years older than me and i was trying on my very first competition leotard that I got from Shining Mission East. I was on the gymnastics team. I was a freshman and I was on varsity and it was like, I was the only freshman. I just felt really cool. And this guy was hanging out outside of the gym when I left and I thought he was really hot. He honestly looks like a spinning image of Colin Farrell. (laughs) And Colin Farrell now or young Colin Farrell? Young Colin Farrell. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> like SWAT, Colin Farrell. <laughs> and and he was just a sweet talker and a really good manipulator. And I it was always the why don't you sneak out and come hang out with me? Like I can't be seen with you thing. And he was like the first guy who really showed me attention. I just didn't know any better. You have this horrible thing that happens to you. You're sexually assaulted. At 14 years old, as a teenager, how, how were you trying to process that in your head? I think I wasn't processing it because I was drugged and it happened when I was passed out. I was date raped. I 
And like, I woke up and there was the condom next to me and I was naked and I was just like, I think I know what happened, but I'd never had sex before. So I didn't know. And then he was like, just go home and take a shower and just talk to me. Like he talked to me, like he, he confirmed what he had did. So I didn't think there was something wrong. And I, so I didn't think anything bad had happened to me until six months later when I found out he had slept with another girl and given her an STD. And and I didn't get it, but I was just, I didn't even know he was seeing anybody else. It was just such an eye-opening moment for the whole dating world in general. Just people can see multiple people at one time and you didn't have that conversation with him. I was just young and in love, or I thought I was at least. (laughs) I was infatuated. Did you tell anyone after it happened? Did you tell a friend? No. No one. How long did you internalize that for? For six months. Yeah, I held that in. And then I told one friend. And then six months later, I told my mom. Wow. How did did your mom react? My mom handled it very well. My mom is a nurse and is an incredible nurse. And she has had lots of experience with having to like give difficult news and then also speak to family members about stuff like that. So she just processed it, sat and listened and processed it, held eye contact with me and didn't get mad at me and didn't scold me for sneaking out and, or didn't get mad at me for not telling her for so long, just really apologized for that it happened to me that way. And her reaction is, I think the moment that I realized how dramatic of a situation it was that this man like took something from me. And then all of this like anger I had been feeling of just like, why doesn't he like me more and all this stuff. It just like all of these why questions clicked and made sense because he never did it. And he never felt any of those things. He just sounds like an all around piece of shit. Oh, the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, not to get too deep in the story, but did you ever get closure from what happened? Unfortunately, no. And I have ran into him two times since. He ended up going to Pitt State. So I ran into him one time there because I went there too. And I didn't know that he had gone there. And then I ran into him at a house party at a friend's of mine when I was like 22 or 23 and he tried to pet my dog and I like slapped his hand away and was like, don't fucking touch my dog. And just had a real like (laughs) overly aggressive moment over just petting a dog in the kitchen in front of everyone. And I was like shaking. I was just like boiling with rage inside of me and Like people could see that I didn't like this person for more than what was happening. And he was asked to leave. So that felt good, but there's never been any, like you got in trouble for this. It's unfortunately you hear that story way too often. Yeah. Yeah. Too many. Yeah. It's, I tried to pursue another one and the prosecuting attorney called me and said, basically this is a, he said, she said case. And even though we have, his sheets and your clothes with both of your DNAs all over everything. And like other people corroborating my story, 
They're like, basically, you don't really have a case and we could go through with this. And there's a 50-50 chance you could win. And if you don't win, then you're going to have to pay all of your court fees. And I was like, this is not very... Wow. Wow. Yeah. And so I just was not very convinced that I was going to win. So I didn't pursue it. Ah, The world we live in, huh? Yeah. And you said that this happened four separate times, right? I didn't even know how you process that one time let alone four, like, how do you internalize something like that? Do you just accept it and move on? Does it change your your energy? Yeah. I don't think I internalized it. It changed me. It changed my sexual patterns. It changed my sexual behavior. It changed for a period of time there. I was experimenting with bulls and like just having multiple partners and trying to balance that and not like a sort of, I'm not telling the other person. It was like a very open communication sort of thing. I have webcammed for several years, for about five years, long before it was a cool thing to do during the pandemic. And I don't know, like I just, I felt like this, like there was power. Sex became a power play. And so for a long time, I just viewed it as that and I held the power. And so that's how I kept control of the situation. But when it comes to, I'm still just like a diehard one guy, one girl, or one of whatever's just a a monogamy. I'm a big fan of monogamy. And that's like truly what I want is like that just all encompassing love. And so it has been a challenge in that area because sexually I have a big appetite (laughs) and I think it's because of these experiences I've had. I have just let down the walls and sometimes I've just said, fuck it. And I've experienced new things. And so I have a broader want now and not a lot of people can keep up with that. At least, I mean, some positive came out of that. Yeah. If you put it that way, I don't know if that's the right terminology for it. But So you met a guy and you ran away. Tell me about that. I didn't meet him. I knew him my whole life. And he came and stayed at my house and was working for my dad. And he was 11 years older than me. He was 37 when we left together. I can't do math right now. I was 26 (laughs) and, and we like, he came and just, he was taking a break from doing his big IRS job. He was an auditor. He was, had just came back from overseas. He was auditing a military base and he was just wanting to do some, my dad owns his own construction business. He's wanted to do some hard labor, spend some time with Greg and came and stayed at our house for about two months. And in that time, one thing led to another. And cause we were just spending a lot of time, the two of us. And then the night that we hooked up, my mom walked in on us. <laughs> it was so embarrassing. And we drove and drove and then we're like, Hey, let's drive to Gulf Shores, Alabama. And so we drove to the beach and then just stayed around the coast and traveled around for a while and decided 
to go to Mexico. We lived in Mexico for two months on the beach in Mexico. And it was like in Tulum. It was just one of the most incredible experiences of my life. And both of us had our drinking issues and both of us had our depression issues as well. He had been sexually assaulted as a child by a male church leader and for years and years and years. And then when he tried to tell his family, they just like in one ear and out the other it. And so he had dealt with it a lot longer and he had struggled with sexual identity. And just the two of us, we were just like, here is everything. And we just, here's who we are and what we want. And it just clicked and it was perfect. And he got to like experience who he wanted to be and he wore what he wanted to wear and he changed his name and not legally just I, yeah, (laughs) and we didn't actually like legally get married, but we wore the rings and we, that we bought at pawn shops and cause that's all that we needed. And we left the beach where we were camping to come back into town, gather some supplies. And then we were going to buy flights and go to Ecuador and start helping build this like, self-sustainable farm there and he got really drunk and hung himself in our bathroom and it i it was the dumbest door it was like a thick metal door with a latch deadbolt from the inside and so you couldn't even bust it down if you wanted to I don't even know how I got the door open, but it was like 45 minutes later. I'm trying to speak the best Spanish I can, trying to get people to come up and help me. And thank God, like somebody did come and help me. And both of us like broke the door down. I tried to give him CPR, but he had, I don't know how long he had been. His lips were already purple. And so that the guy who helped me spoke, was there from there and spoke fluent Spanish. So he like called the cops and everything. And then, I called my parents on FaceTime and just was like, Dan's dead. I don't know what to do. And they just went into action and called the embassy and like an English speaking person from the embassy came and I like went catatonic. I just, I like looked over when I was on the phone with my mom and I like saw his legs out from the bathroom and I just like, I turned it off. I literally just turned my emotions off like a flip of a switch and was like, I can't actually process anything that's happening right now. And they're like, where do you want to go? Do you can go to a hotel tonight or you can go to a hospital? And I said, take me to a hospital because I should probably not be alone right now. And I stayed there for, and I, once I got there and the guy from the embassy left, I started being hysterical, not knowing how to process it. And so they gave me a shot of ketamine and knocked me out for 24 hours until my sister came there. She was on the other side of Mexico. How she was there at the same time, it was a miracle, but took her like 24 hours to get there. And she speaks fluent Spanish. So she was able to like communicate with the doctors. And then four days later, I was back in the States. It was the craziest culture shock of my life. And the whole thing, the whole thing from start to finish yeah. was four months. Did you have any idea that he was going to do anything? No. no. He had talked about, obviously, the urge from the past. 
And I had, I have two at points. He was just such a crazy strong person, like such a rock that to this day, I'm even just still dumbfounded. And January 22nd, it was officially five years. And I'm just still like, how did that even happen? The second really big traumatic event happens to you. And then you go back to the States, you're with your family. How do you cope with that? What? And I've never felt pain like that before. Like heartbreak like that. I literally didn't know if it was ever going to end. I didn't know. I didn't talk for a very long time. <laughs> I like literally just didn't speak words. I was like in an absolute catatonic state. I stayed up most of the night because I hated being awake during the day. It was like summertime in the sunshine. It was like, it's just too happy. And so I would drown myself in the bottom of a bottle of vodka and I would sleep all day and stay awake all night. And I would just watch movies. Movies like were my therapy. I needed to be not in my own world. I needed to dive into somebody else's world and just be not here. <laughs> and I made a whole bunch of jewelry. I started wire wrapping jewelry and I just, I was like a crackhead with jewelry. I just made hundreds of pieces of jewelry. I find, and then I, the first time I decided to leave the house and go out and do something it was like six months later. First, my family shipped me off to rehab. I was home for two weeks and then they shipped me off to rehab. Wow. Yeah. And they regret that. We've had a lot of conversations about that because I wasn't allowed to speak to any of my family members. I was cut off from everything and everyone. That was like another culture shock on top of the one I just had two weeks before. And so that was a mistake. It was helpful to be sober. I'm glad I was sober during that time. It was what I needed. But yeah, I definitely needed my family too. And then when I got back from that 30 days, I continued my silence jewelry making. And six months later, I decided to go to this thing that they have downtown here in Kansas city called first Fridays. And like the first Friday of the month, a whole bunch of people just set up tables and sell whatever that is that they make at home. And I did that. And I finally got out and I lost my voice for talking for two hours. Cause I had just been so <laughs> silent for so long. Yeah. And I don't know, that was like the first moment and I like felt good and I smiled and I had conversations about nobody knew anything about my life and I felt, okay, this is one step in the right direction, but you could be anybody you want at that point, point in time talking to people. Exactly. Yeah. No one knows anything you've previously been to you. Just somebody selling some jewelry. Yeah. But there's yeah. never a day that goes by that I'm not angry and sad and missing him like he's still absolutely the love of my life probably always be